It's Martin Shipton, and today I'm with Jane Dodds, who is the leader of the Welsh Liberal Democrats. Jane, tell us a bit about your background, because you're from, I think, originally Wrexham, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I was born and brought up in Wrexham. Very sort of ordinary family, really. Wrexham used to be an amalgamation of small villages and, uh, you know, there's a lot of agriculture, of course, colliery work and brumbo steel work. So it was a mixture of kind of urban and rural kind of uh, activity. My family, very ordinary. My mum was a charity worker. My dad was a civil servant very unpolitical. None of us in that family were political at all. In fact, my dad was very anti-politician. As soon as people came on the television from politics, he'd say, string them up. And my mum would say, Edwin, don't talk like that. That's a terrible thing to say. And my mum, I guess, oscillated between being Plaid Cymru and Labour. So we were not a conservative family in, in that way. We were, but very unpolitical. So Brought up there, went to a Welsh school, uh, comprehensive, I guess a very dull, ordinary childhood, nothing very consequential. We were Welsh Presbyterian, so we were in church or chapel three times every Sunday. And yeah, my faith is still very important to me. But yeah, very, very, very ordinary. And then I think you came to the great metropolis uh, of Cardiff, didn't you, to study? I did. I came to Cardiff University. I studied psychology. I'd always wanted to be kind of somebody involved in social care, social work. I'd wanted to be a doctor originally, but I knew I wasn't intelligent enough to be a a medical person. So I settled on being a social worker or a care worker or working in that world. So I felt that psychology was something that led me into that. And I came to Cardiff University and studied psychology here, yes. And you carried on your studies after that, I think, as well, didn't you? I did. I went to Manchester and I did an MPhil there. My MPhil was in looking at uh, speech and language development. I was fascinated in inequality, I guess. uh, And one of those aspects, very small one, was about how people could not, if they couldn't hear, if they couldn't express themselves, if there was a link in terms of language and hearing, how that really disadvantaged them. And so I went on and did an MPhil in Manchester, which uh, really was the beginning of my political awakenings, which was when I was 22, I guess, 22, 23. But I think you then, perhaps maybe rather counterintuitively, eventually had a job, didn't you, which was um, rather one might say, socialist-inclined job because uh, it was something to do with... It was at a time when Manchester City Council was spearheading the nuclear-free zone movement. And I think you were also involved with forging links and partnerships with uh, some of the left-wing countries of Central and South America, yes? That's right. It sort of took me back a little bit. One little political awakening I'd had as a young person at home in Wrexham, was reading about Pinochet and the coup in Chile taking over Salvador Allende, uh, you know, the first democratically elected socialist, even Marxist government in uh, Chile. And I'd always remembered that, and I'd always thought that was a terrible thing to happen. 
And so when I went to, to Manchester to study, I also had to work. It wasn't, I didn't have the opportunity to, to do the course without working. Uh, and Manchester at the time was led by a very left-wing council. Graham Stringer was the leader, who uh, is now an MP, a, a very pro-Brexit Labour MP. And he and a few others across the UK, I guess, had decided that they weren't going to twin with the ordinary towns, you know, Spain, France, maybe one in Germany. They were going to twin with, I guess, very communist places, Leipzig in East Germany, St. Petersburg in Russia, still in the Eastern Bloc then, and a town called Puerto Cabezas, which was in Nicaragua. So I did a fabulous job. In fact, it's probably the best job I've ever done, which was working in the Nicaragua Links office, which was about making sure that we provided support, development to Nicaragua. But I was very involved in other Central American and South American politics as well in Manchester. But you weren't uh, tempted to uh, go down a sort of liberation theology route and uh, join the comrades or anything like that? I was fascinated in liberation theology and I remember, of course, El Salvador and Archbishop Oscar Romero, who was, you know, sadly assassinated because of his support, I think, for, for people in poverty. He, he carried no favour with the Vatican, of course. But I found that form of Catholicism, uh, as it was really, very interesting. The whole kind of social justice and Christian movement, I thought, was something that I wanted to pursue more. And I joined the Labour Party. So I was a Labour Party member until the Iraq War. And I campaigned for Labour, I knocked doors for Labour. I thought when Tony Blair got elected, it was, you know, we were, we were on a trajectory to making uh, the country fairer uh, and resigned. Well, of course, there were quite a number of resignations at the time, and they tended to be from people who thought that, well, the invasion of Iraq symbolised, if you like, the way in which uh, New Labour had gone too far to the right and that uh, Tony Blair was in the pocket of George Bush and all that sort of stuff. And at that time, I remember that the Liberal Democrats, particularly in urban areas, were seen as a left-wing alternative to Labour. And that was, that was actually, though, quite short-lived, wasn't it? Because it was within only seven years of the invasion of Iraq that you found the Liberal Democrats going into coalition with quite a right-wing Tory government. How did that make you feel? So just to take it back slightly, I mean, you're, you're right. You know, the Liberal Democrats at the time of the Iraq War were, were seen as the kind of fairly left-wing. And, and Charles Kennedy, obviously, who was the leader at the time, we had 62 MPs. We were, we were on a roll. He and the MPs at the time in the Liberal Democrats opposed the Iraq War and it has to be said that I didn't jump from Labour to Liberal Democrats. I went into the political wilderness for about four years. I didn't want to be involved in politics at all. And then I became a councillor in 2006 in Richmond, upon Thames in, in London. And as a Liberal Democrat councillor? As a Liberal Democrat councillor. So how long have you been in the Liberal Democrats before you became a councillor? A year, one year. So 2005, I joined the Liberal Democrats, and I, were, I thought, oh, they look very interesting. And I went to one of their meetings, and I sat next to a lady and uh, sat at the back, and she leaned over to me and she said, uh, so you're new? And I said, yes. I said, I'm just here just to find out a little bit about it. And she said, oh, just get involved. 
and it was Jenny Tung, who was the MP at the time for Richmond. And I did, I just got involved and then they told me that I should stand and I stood for the Liberal Democrats and lost my seat in 2010, which was obviously the year that we, we started the coalition. So your question was, how did it make me feel? A mixture of discomfort, because we were, you're absolutely right, joining the Conservatives. Had we joined Labour, maybe there would have been a lot more um, kind of sense of alliances, really. But I think a lot of us felt uh, uncomfortable. And of course, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And we look back and see, you know, that Rose Garden moment with Clegg and Cameron. We see that the whole coalition agreement took three days to format. And, you know, clearly... If you read now some of the, the views on that and Nick Clegg's book, it tells you how difficult that made life in the next five years uh, feel. And certainly I will be upfront and honest that the agenda of austerity now and then felt very uncomfortable. And I think one of our key policies I can absolutely say was not right, and that was raising uh, the issues around personal income tax payments. Because what we've ended up with now is a group of people who are not very well paid, absolutely, who are getting good situations because of our, our campaign, which has been continued by the Conservatives to raise the income tax, personal income tax level, compared to those who are on benefits, who have seen a freeze in their benefits for the past four years. So we, we're ending up with two groups of very poor people, and we need to look at levelling that out. But the coalition, I think there'll be different views. Uh, I think there were some good things, people premium, the green agenda. But I think we've got to be upfront and honest and say there were some bad things. And of course, you're probably going to ask me about tuition fees. I was about to do that. And it does keep coming up on the doorsteps, absolutely. The issue is about trust, lack of trust. We don't trust you anymore. You signed the pledge and then you went back on it. And absolutely, I think that was a real terrible time. What should have happened was uh, we should have stood up against it. We should have been clear this was not acceptable. And some Liberal Democrat MPs did vote against the tuition fees uh, because of that reason. It signalled the end of us, really. And in 2015, we paid for that big time. I do really want to pay tribute here to somebody we lost last year. We had some really outstanding politicians, and Paddy Ashdown was one of those. And I remember him supporting us and saying he'd eat his hat if we lost the number of MPs that were being predicted. And Paddy was a real character. Good points, bad points, but he was uh, an outstanding politician who was the last of a bunch in the Liberal Democrats. So you became the leader of the Welsh Liberal Democrats in 2017. It's a rather unusual state of affairs, isn't it? Because you don't actually hold any elected office now. OK, you were a councillor in Richmond for, for one term a few years ago, but you've never held elective, elected office in Wales. Does that make your job more difficult? It must do. You're right in that it is a very unusual position. It does bring challenges. Challenges around press and media coverage, around the opportunity to have input into debates and discussion. Having said all of that, we do still have a great Liberal Democrat team. We've also got Kirsty in the Assembly and we've got our Welsh Lib Dem peers, but we have no parliamentarians. 
and that means we are in a difficult place in terms of having a voice. And for us in Wales, I am not an elected representative. I'm very lucky in that I keep in contact and have input into the debates and discussions through the English and Scottish MPs, but there isn't the opportunity to have that sway. However, I think it is the new dawn of politics because Vince made it very clear that we were looking at the potential of a new Liberal Democrat leader. He's been upfront that he's going to stand down at some point and that that leader may be a politician but may not be a politician. And so I think, you know, I say to Vince, we've forged the way here in Wales. We've got a, uh, a non-elected leader of the party. I think we have challenges and I, I think there's lots of things that we need to be striving to do better and more of. You mentioned Kirsty, Kirsty Williams, uh, who, of course, since the last Assembly election in 2016, has been the only Liberal Democrat in the Assembly. And she was actually quite conveniently put into the Cabinet by Carwin Jones because it helped restore his 30 seats, which gave him an effective majority up to a point but there's a there's a difference isn't there between the liberal democrats and labor about how the agreement that he reached with her is perceived i think so far as the liberal democrats are concerned it's a to all intents and purposes a coalition and you actually had a conference to uh, ratify that agreement between kirsty and, and and carwin jones but so far as Labour is concerned, as far as Welsh Labour is concerned, it is not a coalition because unlike when they had a coalition with Plaid Cymru, they didn't have a conference in order to ratify it. And that's because Kirsty is a solitary assembly member. And now I know that there are those who effectively see her as having been, as it were, co-opted into a Labour administration and to all intents and purposes because of the whip that she takes... She is a Labour AM. Isn't that difficult from the Liberal Democrats' point of view? Because you obviously want to get across the message that here we've got the education minister who is doing various things with the school curriculum, etc. But nevertheless, she is operating within a government that is dominated by Labour ministers. I think it's not difficult, and I'll tell you why. Because it is very clear that we are here to do the best for the country. We are here to deliver the best agenda, and in Kirsty's case, that's about education. And what a privilege that is to be able to influence the future of children and young people. So to have Kirsty do that, and she is the only Liberal Democrat across the whole of the UK who is enacting Liberal policies in a government. She's affecting change. Uh, through being in that role and she has my full support and many many others whatever we call it doesn't really matter and to be honest I don't think it matters to people outside of the political bubble either and it certainly doesn't matter to the children and young people and teachers that she's there to support she's done some amazing things and the agenda around education continues to be progressive Ironically, let's look at what she's done on student fees and, and, and support to students. It's one of the most progressive 
fee structures and, and support financial support systems across the whole of Europe to Welsh students. They've still got to pay 9,000 quid to go to university. But what yeah, we have no. is a cost of living uh, situation. And don't forget, it's not just open to... Uh, full-time students is open the first time that it's been open to part-time students so the people in other European countries pay a lot less for fees to go to university than they do here there's a lot still to do but we still we still have this radical and progressive agenda around reforming it we have rural schools policies we've never had that strategy before we've got a huge investment in teacher training Welsh education is on the app and of course the pupil premium which in Wales is continuing to be increased and available to more. So Kirsty is delivering liberal values and a very much of a liberal democrats agenda in our schools and to the next generation. Do you think that it's going to have uh, an impact on the PISA results, the infamous PISA results which show that Wales is well not very far up the league table in terms of uh, maths and uh, literacy for uh, teenagers. It will turn it around, I'm absolutely sure. So don't forget, Kirsty's only been in that position for just over two years, two and a half years. You know, it'll infiltrate down, I'm absolutely sure, that we will start seeing changes in the PISA results. Of course, the PISA results themselves are open to uh, some kind of different views, uh, of course. But uh, there's no doubt that we have a, a much clearer agenda around how we're going to achieve better standards of education for our children and young people. Now, I imagine that what you would like is for there to be some kind of electoral dividend uh, from Kirsty Williams's involvement in the government at the next assembly election in 2021. But so far, if we look at opinion polls, there doesn't seem to be uh, much improvement uh, from the Liberal Democrats' point of view. Why do you think that is? It does grieve me, and you're absolutely right. The polls don't show that we're gaining anything at all at the moment. We need to do much better at getting our messaging out there, particularly in Wales around Kirsty's achievements and particularly about our radical agenda and what that's going to mean for an offer for the Welsh people. We need to do much, much more around that. And of course, we are the only Remain party that has continuously been talking about a second referendum. Plaid Cymru in Wales have said that they are the Remain party and want a second referendum, but that's only just been recently. So we are the national party across the UK who've been talking about Remain. And I think we will start to see a difference in that. We haven't had an election which has tested that out. Obviously, we've had very interesting developments in the last week or so in politics in the UK. We've got this uh, new uh, so-called independent group in uh, Westminster. Why do you think it is that they have set up their own independent group instead of just coming across to uh, your party? I'm clear that had they wanted to come across, we would still want some time for uh, those discussions and those negotiations. So it hasn't surprised me at all. And I, I know no more than anybody else who's listening to this that they were going to go independent before they looked at any political alliances. We've been very clear, the door is always open, 
The arm is always extended out. We would welcome discussions on shared agendas. And of course, the two big issues for them are similar to ours in that if they're from Labour, they can't stand Corbyn. If they're from the Tories, they don't like May. Uh, and the common theme is that they want a second referendum and they're, they're pro-Remain. Uh, so we will continue to talk with them. That's not myself personally. Uh, we haven't had anybody from Wales make the leap unless that's happened in the last hour and I haven't kept an eye on things. But it's very much the case that we will have those discussions and who knows uh, what will happen in the next week or more or month. They may join us. We may see a new political party. What I'm clear about, though, is uh, I'm pleased that we this may signal the end of two-party politics. We may see a different approach to party politics, a different feeling about it, because I think people are really fed up with the safe seat situation, with a lack of a, a fair voting system um, that actually may signal the beginning of us thinking differently, which in Wales, of course, we've had through the Welsh Assembly, you know, and the list seats. We've had the, the STV proportional representation approach. We need to see more of that happening. The thing is, though, as you point out, the reason why these people have left their respective parties is to a large extent because of the, their position on Brexit in which they disagree with their party leadership. But that is something which has only a very finite uh, time scale. We're only uh, a few weeks away from March the 29th and we are going to know before long whether Brexit is going to go ahead, if so in what form it'll go ahead, or if there are still people holding out the hopes for a so-called people's vote. Um, so that matter is going to be resolved, isn't it? So you can't really build a new political party or an enhanced political partnership on the basis of Brexit, because that would be, in a sense, a thing of the past. That's absolutely right. But it is the biggest thing right now that we need to be looking at how we can build alliances just at the moment to influence a Parliament to be able to make a decision that says the situation goes back to the people. So it, this is very, very current. We know that there is a possibility that Article 50 may be extended and we're very clear that that should happen, that there should be an amendment that is supported. Maybe there's an opportunity for that to be voted on to take us to a place where we've got the opportunity to have a people's vote. So this could take another six to 12 months who knows? You know, the European Union have been very open to that idea of extending uh, and to listening more and to having further discussions. So Brexit is the big issue and we're very pleased that there's an opportunity to work with the independent group. After that, you're, you're right, we need to be talking with them about some of those areas if there are opportunities to have different discussions and we know that someone in the Labour camp, Chukamuna, you know, for example, we might sort of think in terms of uh, his views on the economy, we may not agree with him on those. Anna Subri, we may not agree with her on her issues around austerity. So we, we do need to sort of look at each person and think, would they be willing to talk with us? I mean, that's the key thing. And we'll wait and see. Maybe there'll be more in the next few weeks. But have you got a plan, a strategy about how to detoxify your brand in Wales? 
because I mean, there's recently been a by-election in Cardiff where you've got about 50 votes, something like that, in a council by-election. For most people, the Liberal Democrats are not a party that enters their consciousness when they think about who to vote for. I mean, obviously there are pockets of support in parts of Cardiff which have elected people for, for years, and very often it becomes a bit of a personal vote to keep it going. But you're not in a position at the moment, are you? You're a long way from a position where you're converting people to your cause. And that's perhaps largely to do with the fact that people think that your cause is very much linked up with the cause of the Conservative government that you, until relatively recently, were part of. I'm not sure it's part of that understanding that we are part of the Conservatives. I, I think it is very much about people not knowing what we stand for, not knowing what the Liberal Democrats are about in Wales. And I have some very clear views about how we need to be setting out a very progressive, radical agenda that is an offer to the people of Wales. Um, so I, I think it is about people not knowing what our position is on many things. Uh, we are in the Welsh Assembly with the fifth highest, fifth smallest party. We're not able to kind of get our message out and we need to be doing more of that. I'm optimistic that in 2021 we will be looking at gaining five regional list seats. Uh, UKIP, I think, will disappear in Wales, so I think we've got the opportunity to do that. And had you sort of been talking with me before we had the breakaway sort of people from the Conservatives and Labour, it would have I would have felt particularly, you know, not not I mean optimistic, but I'm feeling much more optimistic now. Of course you come from Montgomeryshire, or that's where you're living now, and you you're a social worker by profession, aren't you? Uh, Montgomeryshire used to be a solid Liberal and then Liberal Democrats seat. It was held for a number of years by Lembit Opic, who became best known for, um, let's put it bluntly, stupid celebrity-linked antics. To what extent do you think his antics wrecked the Liberal Democrat cause in your home patch? It's very clear that Lembit, for many reasons went off the rails towards the end of his 13 years of being a, a constituency MP in Montgomeryshire. Uh, I talked to lots of people there who, think, who say he was a very, very good constituency MP, that he delivered policies for them, that he was a very positive person. But you're absolutely right. He, he did end up, we did end up losing that seat because of him. Uh, to the Conservatives. It, you know, we're 1,500 votes, but nevertheless, it was because what Lembit represented was absolutely didn't fit in with a rural chapel seat. And that's what made him lose that seat for us. And you know that better than anybody else because you were trying to succeed him. That's right. So I stood as uh, the Liberal Democrat parliamentary candidate uh, in 2015 and then in 2017 in the snap election. And it is the case that by then things were, you know, they'd moved on. Uh, Glyn Davis, the current Conservative MP, was, was very popular, very embedded in Montgomeryshire. And it's a relatively pro-Brexit constituency. And so the Liberal Democrats who's standing for Remain versus Glyn Davis and Conservatives standing for Out uh, meant that we weren't going to win it in this current climate. 
Thanks very much, Jane Dodds. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Martin Shipton Meets. We'll be back for more next week. Mm-hmm.